Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast, Bud, first episode of 2022. Felt very old saying that, but uh, first episode of 2022, happy as always to talk about the good people at Louisiana Hot Sauce and Tarpon Cellars, great title sponsors of the Knollcast, great to be able to roll into another year with them, and uh, we've got an off for it to be a you know, random podcast in the first week of January. We've got an awful lot of stuff to go over. Certainly, a lot of this podcast will uh, be portal-focused, if nothing else. It, it will be portal-focused because that is largely where FSU's focus is. I believe their first uh, high school junior day is actually on the 15th. So uh, next week, we'll discuss kind of who they want to get up there uh, for their first junior day of the season. But yeah, they've been pretty active in the portal here, uh, and they damn sure better be after what happened on early signing period, um, not to start off on a negative note, but we knew they were going to have to go pretty portal heavy anyway, uh, especially after the NCAA, you know, gave the extra spots there for the 25 man exemption, not the 85, uh, if they were going to have that happen. And uh, they have to go, go portal pretty heavy and, and they have picked up quite a few guys in the portal. I'm trying to remember, did we, t- we need to start at receiver, obviously, because their receiver room is is almost complete. I'm not convinced they wouldn't take another if they if the right kid showed up. But I was speaking to a source on staff tonight, and he's like, for us, the right kid would have to be a kid who is really, really good, but for some reason wants to come play for us without a proven passer. I was like, that's a good point. So you guys are probably done. He's like, yeah, we're, we're probably done at receiver, um, I would think. So... They have three of them now in the portal, and i got to say it's – I'll throw it to you first. But first, I want to congratulate you, buddy, oh, on your engagement. Thank Look you, thank man. you. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, exciting. You know, COVID uh, earlier in December and engaged uh, in the back end of it, so it was an eventful December for me. But, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. I, uh, you know, am happy in general, and I'm certainly happy for – my mom and my family as I'm, I'm an only child. And, you know, I think my mom had pretty much just written off the idea of it in general. So I'm uh, excited. I, Thank Ma- you. I know Maggie's extremely excited as well. She's like, is anyone going to get engaged? I was like, <laughs> yes, he is. She's, uh, she's not the only person that's asked that question. I'll put it that way. Uh, Congrats to you too. Man. That's, that is awesome. Thank you. Thank um, you all right. So where do you want to start with this? My, did we already talk to Michael Pittman? I, th- I feel I, like. I think we talked uh, about Pittman in a presumptuous manner. I don't think it was official, but I think it okay. was understood more or less. So um, all three pieces, fairly complimentary of each other. We'll focus on Wilson and Spawn as those are the two that are, um, you know, newer. Uh, Wilson, the giant kid out of Arizona State, six foot six, six foot seven. Uh, but I know that you've seen him, I think, back from high school time. And uh, Deuce is... Uh, Deuce is somebody I'm really excited about. I haven't had a chance to talk to you about him, so I'm interested in your opinion. But of the three or four kids that were kind of the, or of the initial Porter offerings, uh, the the IPOs, uh, you know, Deuce was one of the one of the guys that I'd written down as potential difference maker. It may take him a second to get there, uh, but I really like the upside on that kid and think that that's a different type of player, uh, at least as far as what he brings him a skill set as to anybody else that you you really have in the room right now. I, I agree with that. So each of these players brings something of a certainty and also brings a question, right? Pittman brings return game certainty. And I think he has the ability to play the position. I'm not sure if he can be a great player. Maybe he can. 
but he also has a little bit lower floor given that like it's not that great i think that he quit on his team with a couple games left to go and if you look at that utah game they really could have used him like they're, they're they're better receivers on, on that oregon team got hurt and they had like nobody in that first utah game so uh but I like the return game ability with Pittman, and he may he may end up being your go-to receiver. Like if, if things all work out, that's the upside, right? Is he's the guy who you're going to for important third down conversions and and that type of thing. And maybe maybe he's a, a fifty or sixty catch guy, which on this roster with this offense would certainly be your leading receiver. With Johnny Wilson, it's the physical presence. He is not particularly agile. I don't think he's the fastest guy in the world. And to be honest, uh, if he was a great catcher of the football, like he was a guy who actually used his size really, really well to go up and catch the ball already as a proven commodity, you probably don't get him. That's what whoever the receivers coach is going to be. Maybe it's Dugan's, maybe it's not. Kind of doubting it's Dugan's at this point, given that I haven't heard anything new about a contract extension there. Um, That's what their challenge is going to be, to get this guy to use his size to actually come down with the football more often. Uh, but physical blocker, he is legitimately like really big. He's not one of these guys who says he's six six and then he turns out he's like six three and th- you know seven eights or whatnot. He he's he'll stand out as really, really very tall on the field. He made a lot of plays in seven on seven, more than I thought he would. Uh, he played for shoot, it wasn't pro way. He was on Bryce Young's team, I believe. Uh, d- down there in, in Cali, I was at the the Adidas seven on seven, uh, the the last year that we had it before COVID. So that would have been what the twenty nineteen summer, I think. Yeah, like June of nineteen, it would have been there. The Adidas seven on seven finals out in L.A. Um, he was actually Pippen's teammate in high school. I don't know if people realize that. So certainly some familiarity there, and. Uh, you could use a physical target if they can get him to be a guy who can you can you know physically fight for the ball and be a red zone guy. That would be huge for them. They don't really have that right now. Deuce Ban is somebody I am excited about, but he's also the biggest wild card of this group. If you look at what Mike Norvell did back in his Memphis days, he always had somebody to stretch the field, whether or not they threw him the ball. The defense had to account for him, and they threw a lot of deep balls. At Memphis, something we have not seen probably as much here as Mike Norvell would like to do. We oftentimes talk about when will we see Mike Norvell's real offense? One of the questions we got, I think it made this mailbag uh, that we're about to do, was like, are we ever going to see Mike Norvell's real offense or is he going to be gone by the time? (laughs) Which is kind of a fair question, right? Because personnel-wise, they've been limited. Now he had five catches at Illinois. He was a high school quarterback. Uh, So was Deion Kane. At Clemson, and he turned out to be pretty good. I'm not saying this kid's Deion Kane. I think Kane was more polished as a receiver coming out, even though he was a high school QB. Uh, but this kid is legitimately fast and legitimately is a deep ball uh, threat. I want to use the word threat because I'm not really sure that he's he's definitely not proven as a deep ball player. But with that size and speed combo, he is somebody that defenses are going to have to respect at least early in the year. And if they have to respect him later in the year, that means that something has gone right. If they don't respect him later in the year, then that means, okay, well, he's fast and big, but he's not getting not getting the job done. They're going to have to do some coaching here, for sure, uh, with, with all three of these guys. Probably Pippen the least, but for Wilson and, and Span, uh, you can see 
they are betting on the physical tools uh, and size and speed in Span's case. And we'll see if they're able to draw that upside out of them. I, I see where they're trying to go with this. I guess my question is, like, Pittman is the most proven, and is he really somebody you view as reliable? You know what I mean? If things go sideways with this team, is he somebody who's going to be out there battling to help you make a bowl game? I don't know if we can trust that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you just have to, and I'm not suggesting that you don't, but collectively as a fan base, you have to realize that where you are as a program right now, you're not going to get sure things out of the portal. You're going to get guys, well, maybe you land a, a Jermaine Johnson every once in a while. Uh, uh, but otherwise, you're going to, struggle to get things that are, you know, absolute proven commodities. Uh, you got three, you know, kind of, kind of rough diamonds here to speak, uh, in a cliche form and, uh, some nice little things to try to sharpen up and bring out of them. Uh, you're right. There is a level of certainty, uh, and a degree of uncertainty here across the board. Uh, really like the, the explosiveness, uh, that, that Deuce brings you, you know, just the few clips that you look at Pittman returning, Punts, you realize that's a skill set that hadn't been here in a while. And I'm not talking about a guy that's, you know, going to remind us of Greg Reed. I'm talking about a guy that's going to catch a punt and advance it 13 yards up the field. That's something Florida State desperately, desperately needs. Um, And then Wilson, you know, that's a a unique skill set. Something you desperately need and uh, something that uh, I think pairs pretty well with what Travis can do in general. So I really, you know, are they three All-Americans? No. Uh, Are they three really decent pickups for a group that desperately needed it. Yeah. So I, I, I like what you've done here and you're right. Maybe there's a fourth, maybe there's some fantastic match. Uh, I will say internally, some of the evaluations that I've heard on receivers from them. Yeah. The filter is going to be pretty, pretty, uh, <laughs> going to be pretty tight as to what they're looking for. I mean, there's been a couple names thrown around that I thought Florida state would be more aggressive with where they kind of weren't. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's truly a, an exceptional one or no one uh, if there is going to be a fourth wide receiver at this point. I will say, I think, I think the, the, uh, the FIU kid they were in on, um, I had a source tell me good luck with getting him in. Mm -hmm. So like that source is a compliance source. Uh, So I'm not saying they didn't like his physical skills. I just think there was some more stuff going on there. I don't really know what's going to go on with Taj Harris. I do know that they had an emphasis on getting guys in for spring. Uh, because they want to get those dudes to work with Jordan in the spring because they feel like that that chemistry and continuity is really pretty important there. So there was uh, a kid from a premier ACC program that I heard about a month ago that I would have thought would be a top target for them that I'm not sure they actively pursued at wide receiver, which I, I was surprised. That's kind of what I'm referencing. Okay. Uh, it's It's been interesting, some of the – because, I mean, you knew you had – look – the idea that Florida State needed to address the wide receiver position at a portal is something that's been known since game two, uh, if not earlier. Yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, this has been uh, an option where they've had a, a chance to evaluate a lot of different players. Uh, and it's it's interesting to see the three that they've landed on and by all accounts, pretty pretty decent job done here. I, I think that's I think that's entirely fair. Um, I'm going to throw out a number for you, and I want to know if – you would consider it a success or failure. If this group combines to catch fifty-five passes next year, is that success, 
failure, about what you expect. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some stats to, to back this up, by the way. If in my mind, I was not the touchdowns or the be-all, end-all, but in my mind, I was putting the number somewhere around five and a half touchdowns uh, for this group. Okay. 55 passes. Um, I would expect that, yeah, I would I would hope that you hit the over there. I mean, you're, you're that or you've got some level of production that I'm unfamiliar with on this roster currently at the wide receiver position. So this year, uh, Parchment, 24 catches. Wilson, 23 catches, and your third receiver, uh, 16 catches, Malik McClain. Uh, you also had Corbin caught, caught 25 balls and uh, McDonald, who caught 24 balls. So uh, your top three receivers, 47 and 16 there, uh, quick math, tells me that's about 63. So uh, but are we expecting these three to be your three starters at receiver? Where, where does Ontario Wilson fit in with this Uh I gotta say, like, I mean, they, I feel like Span is an upgrade because they were literally running Ja'Kai Douglas out there as their as their go route. Threat. And Helton, and, those were your yeah. two. Those are your two deep guys. Yeah. Uh, I also think those the running back numbers are a little bit inflated by some of that rinky dink, you know, stuff that you did in the middle of the season there. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I think you got to get more production out of the wide receiver position ultimately. Uh, as you're transitioning to the offense that Mike Norvell very much wants to run and will be the ultimate play caller for this year. Um, and I would expect that your production numbers would trend up in general for the wide receiver position and that these three will be a large part of it. I mean, do these guys catch more than 50% of all passes from receivers in 2022? I think so, right? If you back the backs out, absolutely. Yeah, just from the receiver position. Yeah, yeah I mean, they do. You know, you have – obviously you have Malik, who I think is going to continue to be a, an important factor. Wilson, we'll see. Keyshawn Hill, I don't really – you know, okay. Ja'Kai Douglas, Williamson, they liked Williamson more than I did. We'll, we'll, we'll see how, how that turns out. Um, Jordan Young and Kentron, yeah, we'll see. They played Jordan a decent bit at the end of the year, and he, he made a couple catches. So uh, I think the room got better. I don't know if this is exactly perfect, um, but I guess you have some guys who are somewhat dependable, non-explosive type threats, and they they clearly bet on some upside here, much like they tried to do with Parchment last year. And Parchment, I would say, uh, 51% catch rate, 6.7 yards a target. It's pretty poor overall. Uh, you know, Compared to Ontario Wilson, 10.1 yards per target. Right and sixty percent catch rate, uh, Parchment. I mean, you would say that's that was a, a failure of a take to use a scholarship there for the one year, right? I would like label they, it as such. Yeah. yeah, they bet on it and they busted. Uh, they have to do better than that this year if they want to improve offensively. I would say. Uh, nice little addition in the portal uh, as we got ready to record tonight. Tatum Bethune, linebacker out of Central Florida a linebacker out of Central Florida, but mm-hmm. uh, chooses Florida State. Chooses Florida State over Miami and Auburn by all accounts. I'm not going to blow smoke. I don't think this is a transformational player. I do think he's a ready-made college linebacker, something you desperately need. Uh, two years to work with him. This is a this is what you needed to do to kind of paper over some of the misses on signing day and also you know, serve as transition pieces as you can – try to develop some of these, you know, more 
more raw uh, kids that you've signed over the last year or two out of the high school ranks. Agreed. Um, so 89 total tackles, 48 assists, 41 solo. Tackle percentage of 86.4, which is pretty solid. Uh, was UCF's leading tackler in terms of percentage of tackles made per snap. Uh, had eight tackles for loss, two interceptions, one pass breakup, no forced fumbles, and it had a havoc per snap of 2%, which I believe was their leader at the linebacker position. You nailed it. Those are not transformational numbers. Those are numbers, uh, and by the way, yards per tackle uh, of 4.5. So it's pretty solid. And that basically means like what was the average gain of a play uh, on which he made the tackle. So um, you know what? I think this is a solid take for them. You get them in your system. You get them in for spring. You like the kid. You think he could be a nice starter opposite of Deloach or at least push the other presumptive starters there. I'm fine with this take. I don't really think like that you're going to get superstars beating down the door to come play for Randy Shannon personally. You know, um, it's just my opinion, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. So uh, they had the relationship with him, obviously Sabbath Joseph and, and Shannon from the high school and Miami area. Okay. Um, I see what they're doing. It seems to make sense. I don't have a problem with this. I, I think it's most likely a, a pretty decent take for them. And, Look, FSU linebacker-wise this year was improved, but they were still not good, right? Who did you think? Like, Deloach played well this year, I thought, for the most part. They still were pretty lacking at the, at the other linebacker position. They've had a lot of misses there in recent years. A lot of misses. A lot of misses. Um, Gaynor is a great athlete, and you can do some nice things with him, but also kind of limited. Uh, you, you've got to kind of selectively find places where he can be uh, successful. Um, this is nice. This is a nice pickup. Raises the floor significantly. Uh, kid out of Miami Central, as you referenced, um, prior to making a stop in Orlando. And uh, two years in Tallahassee and, you know, a two-year stopgap that's, that's I don't want to say desperately needed, but pretty close to it. Yeah, and look, it obviously allows you to keep developing Lundy. Like, who knows? Maybe Lundy turns into a player... Maybe he doesn't, right? He's limited physically as far as what he can do in coverage. Like, he's good in coverage for his size and skill set, but he still has that size and skill set. So it, it is a limiting factor for him as a player. I think you nailed the gainer analysis, man. So I think he's coming in here as a starter, personally. No, Almost no doubt. I mean, yeah, I think he's uh, – you don't get handed anything, but dude would have to – be disappointing not to be your day one starter. Um, so, all right, man. So we'll move to the defensive line. Have uh, one kid that is, I don't know, what would you label Terrell Dawkins as like a commitment, but not official bud? Or uh, what's the status with the NC State defensive lineman? So I checked in tonight. They feel like they're in a good position with him, but I, I don't think he's committed as far as I know. Unless okay. I missed something okay. before. Uh, no. um, and the, Unless I miss something before no, you, it's just they got him on campus. They felt confident about it. Excuse me. So, um, so this is a it's a connection they have to Terrell Dawkins, right? And kid from North Carolina, but they there there's a, I forgot what the who's the connection here actually. It's is it Pujas? I'm trying to think. Somebody told me earlier who, who like who's exactly tight with this guy. Um, 
State of North Carolina puts out a pretty good number of of good defensive ends. He has some size on him. We had him at six foot four, two hundred thirty five pounds coming out of high school. He was in the class of twenty nineteen, so that means he is a he'll be a fourth year player. Um, did not play a whole lot for NC State, by the way. So obviously, it's a would you call that a red flag? Kind of, I guess. I would certainly. Uh... <laughs> Call that an ingredient that needs to be noted. Yeah, I mean, but he had, he had surgery. Did, didn't didn't play, uh, you know, a whole lot in the 2021 season. Missed spring of 2021. He redshirted in 2019. Um, now in 2020, he had some promising stuff. This is why they're taking this kid. First of all, the frame. He does. He has a good quality frame. A little bit bigger than McClendon, as far as I can tell. Um, he won the Philip Rivers Award, which is given to the team's top rookie. Uh, he actually started six games at defensive end in 2020. He had 4.5 sacks as a redshirt freshman in 2020 and fourth uh, for tackles for loss, but nine in 2020. Again, this is all as a redshirt freshman. Now he had nine tackles in the win over Duke, including one and a half tackles for loss, forced to fumble. Okay. You know, I can see, hey, this is a dude with, with, with some frame who was perhaps on the way to be in a breakout and didn't end up breaking out for whatever reason, right? And he got hurt, which is probably the most likely reason here. That's potentially problematic. I can certainly see that. Uh, but also, there are some up, there's some real upside there if he's regained his prior form. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can see this working out for them. But it's tough for me to say this because, on the one hand, like you did not know you were getting Jermaine Johnson last year. If you knew that Jermaine Johnson was that caliber of player, and they did not, I guarantee you that. I, I know exactly what the conversations were about Jermaine Johnson. If they knew he was that caliber of player, that good, they wouldn't have got him because somebody else better would have, would have snagged him, right? He would have gone to like Oklahoma or, hell, Alabama, right? They, they were lucky to get in on him, and they also were very fortunate in some other ways, and they got it done. I'm not really sure that Dawkins has that type of upside. I guess he potentially does. Eh, I, I think we're setting ourselves up for disappointment I don't think so. as a yeah. fan base to compare anybody to Jermaine. You know, I mean, that, that's a once in a five year thing, uh, I think, for Florida State to get somebody like that. So. And Keir Thomas is much more proven mm-hmm. as a player, right? Now, Keir Thomas also had injury stuff. Dawkins probably was a better pass rusher in 2020 than Keir Thomas ever was before coming to, to the Knowles. However, I think there's some upside here. I don't think it's Jermaine Johnson level upside. If this is the only guy you go out and get at defensive end, I think your your pass rush is probably going to suffer quite a bit compared to what it was in 2021. But I think he's a guy they want to take. They like him. They feel like they're in a good spot for him. Yeah. Got his parents uh, on the trip here, you know, uh, over the weekend, which is – not the same as being committed, as I referenced earlier, but uh, a, a sign that you've got a real chance to close the deal. And uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on Dawkins in the next 24 hours or so, but uh, it sounds like this is trending in the right direction. I also checked in on, um, on Jared Verse, the defensive end from Albany, and was told uh, they're still fighting. They're still preaching the Jermaine Johnson and Keir Thomas message, which is basically – Hey, yes, they were in the SEC, and guess what happened? They left the SEC and they came to Tallahassee, and now are probably going to get drafted, or you know, have well, Jermaine's yeah. certainly going to get drafted, and Thomas 
might get drafted. You know, potentially we'll see where he goes, what he what he measured out as. But they had better seasons in Tallahassee than they ever had at those SEC programs. Tennessee is obviously pitching SEC, 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 which certainly matters. So we'll see how well that that works out for him. But uh, Tennessee did get him to cancel any future or you know future visits. So that's typically a sign that that you've you've got it won. Yeah, you know. Very few times, I kind of roll my eyes sometimes when I feel gen- general fans talk about uh, NIL deals in general with, with portal kids. Yeah. Uh, versus one of the few things where that might be an exception. I mean, he's you, a pretty good player. Like, I, I he's, he's worth some NIL money. One of the top eight or 10 options out there right now, if, if not, you know, more sought after than that. So, yeah, he's, he's one of the few that, uh, yeah, you know, you get in a slugging match with an SEC school uh, and NIL matters. If it's the top seventy-five percent of the SEC, you're, it's going to be a challenge. So uh, we'll see. Especially how that where, where they are right now with, with with NIL. You know, I mean, in the future, we'll we'll see if that remains. Uh, but yeah, I, I I agree with you on that. Yeah. Why can I not pull up my damn Louisville tab? <laughs> oh God. So speaking okay. of Louisville, we'll move yeah. to the uh, back part of the defense with the addition of one greedy Vance. So if not. Uh, from production on the football field, a uh, sweet name hails from the same high school as uh, a prospect that shall be unnamed uh, until he steps foot on campus. Are we doing that with Destin Hill now? I think, I think we, we are, should, right? man. Okay. I think we've yeah. got to at this point. I did love like the shout out to him and his commitment with his name like written in the sky. Almost looked like a you know that he had passed or something like that <laughs> uh, in in Greedy's commitment image. But um, yeah, so interesting player. I did, did uh, did Greedy originally commit to Arkansas, Bud, and then and then signed with Louisville? Uh, I can't. I was trying to remember his commitment out of high school, but uh, interesting player, talented back, uh, defensive back out of Edna Kerr there, and um, yeah, this one, you know, we'll just have to see. Some of, some of these portal moves are really impressive. Some of them, I question. This one, I'm just kind of kind of neutral on, to be perfectly honest with you. How much are they emphasizing? getting you know getting in for spring i think probably quite a bit you know uh he did uh he did decommit from arkansas in, in september 22nd of 19 so that's a very good memory by you the the main thing that, that i like about about this kid right and louisville's defense this year was about as good as fsu's so you know like not not materially different you're getting a a guy who played starters reps he played 347 coverage snaps for Louisville. He was the primary coverage guy on 16% of their snaps, which is the highest on the team. He allowed 31 completions on 58 attempts for 419 yards. Uh, like, those are fine numbers. They're not great numbers, but you are getting a, a guy who is a starting caliber ACC player on your roster who some coaches on your team seem to know, right? Obviously, Yak is familiar, and then I think Woodson is also pretty familiar with this one. I mean, he's he's kind of the most proven guy that you've taken so far in the portal, I would say. Now, not proven to be good, but like he's played the most snaps, I think, right? He's, you know, no picks last year, but only two touchdowns allowed. 7.9 adjusted yards per attempt, which is like 
the other thing you got to remember is on the other side was Cottrell Clark, who's a really good player for them. Um, now, the only thing about, about Greedy Vance is he's not real big, man. You know, I mean, he's, he's one of those dudes who's listed 5'10", 155. But Kevin Knowles isn't huge either. And they like, really like Kevin Knowles. I, you have so many portal spots to play with. I have a hard time saying any of these are really like bad takes. You know, just keep taking guys at this point. That, that you're you're not exactly killing it in high school recruiting. Yeah, yeah, and, and you saved you know you saved your room for it, so make use of it. We'll uh, we'll just have to see there. So uh, those are the the additions that we have now, and at least two possible uh, names to be added later. Or you're right, this is kind of one of the benchmarks that you see a little flurry of activity before um, you know schools start in the next semester, and then. You know, the next kind of portal, um, we'll see activity throughout, but the next real concentrated level of activity will probably be, you know, immediately after spring. Um, so this right. is a, almost like an early signing day, um, de facto early signing day with the with the creation of uh, of kids getting in before the second semester. So you, you may not realize this, or I think you do, but the audience might not. We will continue to see a couple kids jump in the portal this week and next because certain schools start this week and some schools start next week. The thing is, if you go to class and you start your semester and then you go to the portal, the school cannot pull your aid and your, your grants and stuff for that current semester. So if you know you want to leave after spring practice, you can jump in the portal, get approval to talk to other schools, continue to be on scholarship at your current school, as you finish up your classes for the end of your spring semester. Like that, if, if you want to kind of get a head start on the process, which we're certainly going to see some kids at some schools do. Yeah. We will see that. And we'll see other kids who go through spring realize that they're not in the plans or at least in the plans uh, at a level that they feel comfortable with. And then we'll, we'll make a decision then. So uh, you're right. Uh, there's, this is a, some time left on this clock, but this is a decent, kind of benchmark uh, for portal activity here in the next couple of days. Um, before we get into kind of the comings, goings, staff additions, changes, uh, but there's, there's, you know, two people on our, uh, on our Nolcast family here that we haven't had made any changes to in quite some time. And I don't think we will uh, when you have a chance to work with good people like Shannon and Chad or, Shannon and Chad, or Shannon, whatever. I said it right this week. Yeah, no, and then I tried to intentionally butcher it, and I couldn't. So that's that's the old brain working for you real hard tonight. Uh, But no, there's no better You had the Shad and Shannon for a little bit. Thank you, thank you, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tremendous, tremendous guys there at the Legendary Home Loans team. 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN is the number to call. I've obviously used them twice, right, for my home loan and for my refi. Couldn't be happier. They got me an awesome rate. Shannon knows exactly what he's doing. When you call it 844-FSU loan number, you get hooked up directly with him. That's like, you kind of get the inside inside number, right? Like that's the guy you want. And I know we've directed a couple of people this week via email and via Twitter DM uh, to those dudes as well. So really hoping to hear back good things there for those folks. And we have a couple more loan closings coming up. Still a great time to buy a home and 844-FSU loan, 844 844- FSU loan is the number to do so. All right. So uh, we talked, uh, yeah, well, we talked about Kenny. Kenny had moved to Oregon last time mm-hmm. 
yeah and discuss so uh and we had, we said we anticipated atkins being elevated yeah we knew atkins would go there we talked about tokars moving into the quarterback coach position which ultimately uh came to fruition atkins had his first press conference today uh at least as the oc not his first presser since joining the staff but uh you know really impressive guy you can see how he's uh he just comes off with a kind of authentic confidence uh at least to me and you can see how he's a successful recruiter, not somebody that's, uh, I imagine, you know, like is shooting kids 30 text messages a day or something like that. I, I, he has a very interesting approach and you can kind of glean a little bit of that just from seeing how he, uh, you know, talks about what his plan is with the offense and a, certainly a rising star in the industry. I mean, you, you can clearly see why FSU locked him up before the season, right? Remember when we reported over the summer that he was locked up? Um, there's a reason why they did so. I, I thought his press conference today was was pretty impressive. Um, Coach Norvell is going to continue to call. Well, I guess Kenny technically called the plays, but it was more of a you know cohesive effort there. Norvell will call the plays. Obviously, Atkins, you know, working on the offensive line as well, being the in, in-game coordinator. There's a lot more to being a coordinator than just calling the plays on game day. You know, it's game planning during the week, strategy, making sure that literally the whole offense is coordinated. You know. Um, so he's going to be on the field. I'll be interested to see who's in the booth. I assume Thompson, if he's still around, will be in the booth for them as kind of their eyes in the sky so they can all work together and, you know, figure out what they're seeing. It makes sense that he'll stay on the field because you do want to have that kind of face-to-face talk with the offensive lineman there. And I think it's personally good that we're seeing more offensive line coaches in the sport uh, get to be offensive coordinators too. So pretty cool there and I, I think it'll only help you in recruiting that your coordinator is a really good recruiter and the guy in charge of improving uh, what was your worst position when he took over and is slowly making progress and he talked about that today too he's like look you know we we need to bring guys along at, at the correct pace for them and uh, continue to tell them how much we believe in them and then supplement that by bringing in some other guys as well but it's not really a a quick fix position. I, I thought that was that was smart that he said that to kind of send a message, sort of to his room that hey, look, we, yes, we're bringing in some transfers. No, that doesn't mean that we don't believe you guys, any of you guys anymore, right? Like we we need to continue to develop you here. That 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 type of thing I thought was a good good message from. Yeah. Uh, tow cars. I don't know that it's worth spending a ton of time. A guy that they like, a guy that they felt would have gone somewhere else if he wanted a position yes. coach. They were going to lose him, I think, if he had not been elevated. Yeah. He was already working with Duffy quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something there I think is is uh, certainly – I think it's a positive. I know he's not like a proven quarterback coach, but I know Norvell likes him a whole lot. I, I think the whole staff seems to think he's somebody who – it was just very recognized he was going to be moving up and on, almost like a Joe Bowen uh, two years ago who's now at South Carolina. Right, a guy on a Willie staff who was who was pretty solid. And then I do want to tell you this, by the way. I'm hearing a pretty strong sense that FSU will be hiring a GM, somebody to oversee, you know, high school portal, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like above the director of player personnel, above the high school relations guys, that type of thing. Um, we see a lot of schools do this now. Obviously, my former podcast colleague Barton Simmons is the GM there uh, at, at, at Vanderbilt University. But from my understanding, that would be a person who would be over Chuck 
and over Bar you know Bartow and and Kenyatta and the high school relations guys. Um, I'm interested in in names on this. Going back, we know Chuck was not their first choice, right? Just from our internal sourcing to be the DPP. Uh, Patrick Settis was a name that that I was told they were interested in back in the day uh, when they were looking for the initial DPP role. So that was a name I would keep in mind there. The other one I would I would keep in mind. Um, oh shoot, what was the guy's name from Maryland? Remember they they were that there was a Norvell connection to the guy who was the player personnel dude at Maryland. Drawing a blink on the name, I, I know you're talking about, but uh, I can't oh, call the name. But I, I anyway, I think that's going to get done. Um, obviously, you guys heard me say if they don't make some changes to the staff given how bad they missed on signing day, it feels like it's hard for me to fully take them seriously again at their word on some of the recruiting stuff. And that's not me trying to take shots. It's just the results, right? Like that was the class you had to nail and you didn't do it. So this could be potentially a positive change for them. If you bring a little more organization there on the back end and a little more accountability, I think in terms of actions, um, you know, and maybe some greater connections in the industry. We'll also see, like, do they go and do they bring in another scouting guy or whomever, right? Maybe, maybe they were going to a portal specific scout or another high school relations guy. Yeah. We'll just have to see. But I do think they are going to expand that recruiting staff. I, if I had to bet on it, I would do so. Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, Sedez is a, a, a guy that's a year older than I am, went to Marist. Uh, so I certainly have some friends who played ball with him there and then went to Alabama. Um, director of football ops at Bama, director of player personnel at Texas, director of player personnel at Auburn, general manager at Georgia Tech. Pretty, and some other stops along the way. So pretty distinguished resume for a guy to be in his late 30s. Um, that would be a really nice pull. Uh, Taylor Edwards was, was the guy at Maryland, I believe. Okay. So we'll see if, if who knows, maybe it's somebody completely different, but like those would be just, I was going back through my notes earlier. Uh, guys who I know they were interested in the first time around uh, when Norvell was making the staff hires. And uh, and we'll see. Yeah, I think that could be interesting. Uh, Taylor Edwards, by the way, is now at South Carolina. He's their DPP. So kind of doubt that would be the, the guy, given how much SEC schools can pay. Mm -hmm. But GM is certainly a better role. I mean, oh, like, you got to think a GM role probably plays 200 at this point. Yeah. Um, but been back on the road, always love being able to draw on your uh, firsthand observation. You were out at the, uh, Under Armour practices. I'd love to hear your thoughts in general, but particularly what you observed of one AJ Duffy. So you don't want to hear about Travis Hunter? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, sure. I'll listen to it. I mean, honestly, the further I get away from Travis Hunter, the less that that bothers me. Um, the, the other misses on the day are sit with me more. Uh, but yeah, Travis Hunter, yeah. you know. Was he explosive? Did he jump up and catch the ball? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, he's he real good at that. Covered pretty well. Yeah, uh, was pretty flawless in his transitions. Yeah, like like for sure he was good. Um, Evan Stewart, the other kid who obviously very volatile uh, but very explosive receiver out of Texas. Uh, he's a guy that everybody will probably know if he, you know, sticks with it. Uh, but I thought AJ Duffy, if she's quarterback recruit, was good. Legitimately, you guys know I've always shot you straight on that. I didn't think he was all that great at Elite 11 in Orlando when I saw him. I know Newberg was at that camp with me as well. And like we had to name somebody as the top performer that day, and there was really nobody who killed it for us. 
that day. I thought he had an up and down one year at IMG, obviously, which was cut short by the, was it a thumb injury, I believe now, if I recall? Remember, he had a some kind of hand or thumb <clears> injury, I think it was, and ended up going back to California there. So I was a little kind of, okay, what are, what are we dealing with here? You know, we just thumb injury, goes back to Cali, showed up. You know, he was an accurate passer who seemed to know where to go with the ball in, in practice. Game, he had an up-and-down game. It's an all-star game. I don't think anybody was above 50% passing in that all-star game. Um, I will tell you, here's a funny anecdote. On night one when I was there, the team that Duffy was on, they were trying, like, I think their one center was hurt and they didn't have another center because a lot of like the COVID stuff was an issue with guys flying in from all over the country, obviously. And when they, when they got there, they had the test. So a couple of kids had positive tests and they had to like hang out in a, in a hotel room in Orlando for, you know, the entire week. And I'm like, man, what, what, what does that uh, premium TV bill look like? <laughs> right. <laughs> for a 17 year old kid hold up at a hotel in Orlando, man, on, on, on Under Armour's dime. So anyway, uh, I legit, we were, they were doing inside run drill and then they were doing some, some 11 on 11 and the snaps from the backup kid on Duffy's team were so bad that I literally thought they were repeatedly trying to do a direct snap to the running back play. I'm like, I didn't realize it at first who was snapping the ball. I was like, what in the hell is going on here? Like, what, why are we doing this? This is silly. Like, like, okay, great. You want to run a direct snap to the running back? No, it was just the snaps were that bad. They were going all over the place. Um, not just high and low, but directionally, like a full player or a player and a half alignment-wise off uh, left or right. So, look, he was the best quarterback there that week. And I think that's encouraging for FSU. Is he somebody who I think is ready to take the starting job as a true freshman? No, I do not. Physically, he's not going to overwhelm you. Uh, so, just something to continue to monitor there, but... I think he's somebody that could hit for them. We'll see. Like, not a guaranteed Caleb Williams, Justin Fields type, but somebody who's encouraging, man. And that's – hell, you need some positive news if you're the Knowles right now, right? You do. You do. And the old Tatum Bethune news is a that's little bit of a uh, small bit. But, no, it was great to see Duffy have a nice, solid performance. And I, from what I've heard from other people, I'm glad – Nobody's jumping the gun and starting to promote this kid. As a, I mean, let's not. He's not going to start next year. Don't, you know, uh, realize everybody has to fill out a show sheet, but uh, we don't We don't need to push that narrative. Uh, but nice prospect that you can develop over time and uh, good for Duffy to continue to, you know, show a solid set of skills and a, a, a degree of polish from a high school quarterback prospect that Florida State hasn't had since mm, probably 13 or 14. Exactly. Um, by the way, have you seen LSU tonight playing their bowl game with 38 scholarship players? I have not seen this, no. They're using a receiver or quarterback. It is uh, interesting. They're on pace to lose 48 to nothing to Kansas State. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian Kelly's giving his interview, and I'm not seeing it yet because obviously I'm recording with you live. I want to check Twitter and see if he's doing the fake Louisiana accent. Mm, I, hope he's, but, I hope he got some consultant work that told him he needed to pull back on that pretty hard because he was you know, <laughs> my family <laughs> yeah a foghorn leghorn there who took over the uh took over the lsu job i will say i don't know if like one of the teacher assistants in, in, in my son's class has like a crazy southern accent but my son went after we get done praying at dinner he goes i am man 
like Paula Dean or something. It, he's two years old, but dude, it is. I'll send you a video of it. It is classic, <laughs> bro. What? Are, it, it, yeah, it's uh, it's drawn out and it is it's special. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> oh uh, gosh, we're off the rails funny. here. We should get to some listener questions. We got a lot too. We'll have to uh, roll some of these over to um, over to next next year's show. Uh, next, next year's uh, show. Yeah, the next the next show we do here. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's start here. First question comes from Mason tonight. By the way, big shout out to our Patreons in general. You can go to patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Great support that they give us when, uh, you know, when situations like what happened over the last month where I've tried every software option in the world and we finally just need to buy a new microphone. Uh, we're fortunate to have the support that we do from our Patreon uh, supporters that allow us to do something like that. So big thank you to you guys and thank you for all the listener questions that you've provided for this show. Mason leads us off. Thoughts on what Florida State has done in the portal so far and where they go from here. Uh, are the new wide receivers guys that can make an impact? We've developed uh, that part of the question out pretty well. Uh, but Mason's next part is what is the next position you expect Florida State to focus on? So I think FSU needs to bring in two defensive ends for sure. Um, and I also think like I would be looking for a developmental defensive tackle prospect. Uh, I am worried about what your defensive tackle spot looks like in 2023. 2022, I think you should be pretty damn good up front, right? But you're going to lose, you're going to lose Briggs, you're going to lose Lovett, you're going to lose those guys, uh, Cooper. You know, like you're going to lose those dudes following 2022. And, and who is who's going to be there for you? Is it Farmer? Is it Chambray Jackson? Is it Lions? I, I think you need more uh, to be counting on at that spot coming up. And I think that's – that's. I would go after a developmental defensive tackle since you did miss on, on the kid from Georgia who went to Tennessee there down the stretch. That was a guy you really kind of had to have, in my opinion, uh, Tyree West. So that would be a spot I would look – I would continue to look for another offensive lineman, I think. Uh you may want to go for another tight end. I know that sounds crazy, but if you can get a, a big-bodied tight end, almost like a Jordan Wilson type, that could certainly help you so you don't have to play Preston Daniel and Wyatt Rector at snaps like that. I don't really think those guys are you know, ACC-quality dudes, right? Uh, and then you know, also I would look uh, – uh, you may want to go running back, but I don't know you have to. With Corbin going pro, maybe they decide to take one kind of want to see how Rodney Hill looks in the spring, right? To, to see just how well, but like I would keep taking, man, you know? Uh, one name that I know has got a decent amount of options out there is the Hawaii defensive tackle. Uh, oh, Jonah. that kid's really good. Really yeah. good. I um, don't know if they can get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, that might be a different level of, I mean, he's got what Ohio state, USC, supposedly Georgia, Ohio state, USC. Yeah. I mean, Teams that are still playing ball, I'll put it that way. When um, I see a kid like that, right, who is Polynesian and from Vegas, I think, okay, Ohio State, Bama had a good connection there for a little while, USC, maybe a Utah-BYU. Has FSU had any poly players other than the uh, – who was the kid on the 2008 team? Remember the offensive tackle they brought in? From Snow College in Utah. I think it was Snow College. Played for like one year. It's a tricket guy. You talking about Ferenkrug? No. No, no, no. Um, let me pull this up. 
this is gonna be a throwback name. If you guys have listened to us for thirteen years, then I love, uh, yeah. I'll be um, interested to hear who this is. Okay, let me look here. By the way, twenty-one nothing Kansas State, fifteen minutes into the game or eighteen <laughs> minutes into the game. Uh, Joe Tonga. Tonga. Okay. Remember Joe Tonga from Mount Sac, not not Snow College, Mount, Mount okay. Sac. He's a junior college guy. He came in. They liked him. Uh, did not really play. <laughs> Man, Trickett and Jimbo did some good stuff, but they had some wild evaluation of uh, some kids there for a period of time. Both, you know, portal kids and strange transfers. They they were. Uh, it was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, for sure. They thought that Ferencrug kid was going to be dominant, and who was the the Swiss-born kid that they thought was going to be a hell of a player as well? Just didn't work out. Um, but oh, yeah. Glauser? Yeah, Glauser. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But in the same class as as as, as Glauser, they got uh, the dude from uh, England, the Hugh Minelek Watson. Mm, yeah, and he turned out to be really good. Yeah, he, yeah, he turned he's out. In, to be... <laughs> I don't know if he's in the NFL still, but that was. Uh, that was played, solid. played for the Raiders for quite a while. Um, yeah. So, all right, Logan has our next question. Logan says, now that the time has passed from the disappointment of early signing day, do you sense that any of the necessary changes to be made in the infrastructure organization of the football program, its coaches, etc., will actually be made in the near future? Or do you think Florida State is still not in a position where it can compete at a higher level and we have to recalibrate our expectations of this football program for the time being based on the support it gets now? And do you get the sense that Miami and some of Mario's billionaire friends is truly committed to Mario and the football program now? And is the organization, or excuse me, and the urgency for getting more support and organization in the football program more palpable? Well, uh, I do think we're going to see some changes, right? Uh, I haven't heard anything new on Dugan's contract being renewed, so we'll have to see if that does happen. But at this point, I kind of doubt it. As I already mentioned, I think there's a pretty strong possibility they they end up making some additional, like creating additional positions there in the recruiting department. Um, to me, that stops short of making some of the changes I think you should make in that department. However, it's better than nothing, right, if you institute more accountability there uh, for the people who are already existing in it. Uh, is it kind of papering over some issues you have? Potentially. But obviously, if you get a new boss, maybe he helps you do some stuff, uh, which could lead to more productivity there. Are they going to hire more analysts and whatnot? I think that's also potentially an issue. Yes, I think that that could happen. Do I think my uh, do I think that Mario being at Miami and having some billionaire buddies is going to put more pressure on FSU? Yes, I think it already has because they clearly messed up signing day. I'm not going to drop this. This is the class they had to hit out of the park. They failed to do so. If, Nor- if Norvell is done in, in, in 2024, 2025, we're going to look back on this class and be like, yeah, that's the class he had to hit, and that's the class he didn't hit. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, they. I mentioned this on the previous podcast we recorded about, I don't know, two weeks ago, 10 days ago, however long it's been. Uh, Florida State is keenly aware that Miami is going to be a whole different ball game uh, going up against them. And that's good. You know, maybe you need something to light a fire in you internally and know that you're not just going to be able to kind of, you know, continue to think that you're going to be better than Miami and have a shot at 
you know, getting by and under the status quo. So, um, you know, is Florida State going to be able to spend like some of these programs that we know they can't? I don't think that's worth us even talking about. But Florida State spends at a top, you know, top eight, top ten uh, as far as payroll of staff. I, they, this is a hard conversation at times because there's parts of this that are legitimate, and then there's parts of this kind of theory that I think we try to actively uh, dispel. And staff has not ever really been an area. Okay, do they have like the collared, the polo army? No, they don't. But for the most part, Florida State pays its staff and supporting staff pretty damn well and has been aggressive and, you know, at least trying to uh, stay somewhat up to the trends of, of you know, some of the, the broader and enlarging staffs that have taken place or that we've seen taking place over the last decade. So, um, do you need to recalibrate expectations? Yeah, you do. Of course you do. I mean, Florida State's not winning a national title in the next four or five years. All right. Just, that's fine. Doesn't mean you're not going to be a fan. Doesn't mean beating Miami and incredible and fun to talk about and laugh at. And, you know, maybe next year you get Florida. Um, I'm a fan of the Glasgow Rangers. I don't think the Glasgow Rangers are going to win UEFA championship anytime soon. Doesn't I think they will. Yeah, well, thank you, bud. Uh, doesn't mean I don't wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and watch the games and love them. Um, so I think this program has a massive amount of support, and as long as it sees this program headed in the right direction, this is not a national championship or bus fan base, at least those of us that are still sticking around after the last six or seven years, right? Um, and you got so a lot of people pro- who do care. I will say, like, and and I think you have important people who realize there are some issues within the program who are trying to actively work with Alford and, you know, some things that under the current law, maybe Alford can't do uh, to work around uh, that as well. Like, I don't think they're just going to try to sit still. There, there are certainly people who are bothered with where they are right now and are actively trying to fix things. I think you're going to see some crowdfunding stuff coming for NIL. I think you're going to see some more organized NIL type stuff coming forward soon. And you're right. They do spend quite a lot of money on coaching salary. I don't think they're going to be top 10 anymore when the new thing comes out, obviously with Mel Tucker's deal uh, and with like, we make the argument, Hey, if you look at what they're paying Taggart, they're, they're paying, you know, quite a lot of money right now, like $8 million for a head coach. But Miami's also paying Mario what, whatever it is, plus Manny's buyout. You know right. what I'm saying? So they're gonna they're paying more for their head coaching position essentially. Uh, I think there'll be more in that sort of like ten to thirteen range than top eight, but it's still still like that's a hell of a range to be in. Well, you have a head coach on the cheap right now. You know, yeah. for for where you live in the college or where you want to live in the college football world. Nobody and also not one who's gonna like like really a prime candidate to hop anywhere right now. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, wh- like where's gonna open that Norvell's gonna go that has any similar potential? Arizona State, maybe if you really want, like, there's the whole concept of restarting the clock, right? When I, I don't even want to get into this, cause I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. But like, Auburn is not gonna fire Brian, Brian Harson to go hire Mike Norvell after two losing seasons and probably what seven and five next year. So, They'd go over well with the Auburn boosters. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Pepping a guy who just lost to Jackson State, Jacksonville State. Uh, that would that 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 I'm sure that would. You think that would sell? That would. Um, 
I'd, I'd have a good real estate agent if I was the athletic director. Uh, well, he he may be he may be leaving. Yeah, pretty soon there, from what I understand. Um, Stephen asks, "What is Burrell's status?" Um, but I'll ask you. I certainly think he's on track to be back. Uh, I think he's been back for the spring. Back for spring. I do love the NIL deal that he recently did. Not that this is some kind of transformational thing, but it looks like there's a business owner store, up in man. Columbia that's a Florida State fan, and he's got Burrell. I'll hell, I'll order some charcoal from him or something uh, for the grill. Absolutely, just to support it. And I think it's great to see that you know there's guys that are out there doing things and people that aren't you know located in Tallahassee or the Panhandle or whatever else you want to try to support a Florida State football player. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I need some chlorine tabs, so um, I'm, I'm all in. Love it. No, I, he's still a guy they really, really like, and obviously we're, we're super bummed that he got hurt. But long term, I think he's one of those guys that Atkins is talking about, hey, like there are guys on this roster who, if we're going to get to where we need to go, need to develop. And him staying healthy is going to be a big part of that. All right, we'll jump to the uh, next question. Here comes from Josh, a uh, frequent contributor to the Dolcast. We certainly thank Josh for his questions. Sometimes we uh, bud edit them a little bit, but this is a, a long one, but a good one. Uh, before I do read Josh's question, I will thank our friends at Congruity. I have to say, when I tweeted out a couple of weeks ago that I got engaged, I um, one was blown away by the response in general, but was literally dying laughing at some of the ways that our listeners chose to interweave uh, our sponsors into my supposed uh, proposal and the congruity ones were by you know and the resolution home loan those were hilarious but it's great to see the brand develop over time and the fact that congruity uh, has become as associated with the null cast as it is um, f- aside from just being associated with our podcasts are absolutely fantastic people matt lewis uh, would be nothing but a great asset for your business uh, we highly encourage you to either reach out to myself or Matt directly uh, if you want to explore how you can best pair with Congruity. Um, you know, white glove service, fantastic people, uh, dedicated team there out of Florida and North Carolina to help you in whatever way you can and try to uh, experience your business optimize. Congruity HR is the website. 844-247-4100 is the phone number. And Knowles at CongruityHR.com is the email. Boom, man. All right, so Josh's question. Lay it on me. These are typically long, but they're usually pretty good. I think it's safe to say that early signing day was a disappointment, but are we being too harsh on this staff? A recruiting ranking of anywhere from 12 to 15, depending on where you look, is still outkicking your coverage from an on-field product standpoint. I was looking at a few programs that have had rebuilds in recent history. Dabo averaged a recruiting class of 23rd in his first four years. Harbaugh at Michigan and Franklin at Penn State were both around 18 in their four-year run uh, that Oregon had between 2011 and 2014 that led to their title appearance averaged a class rank of 17. Norvell seems to be in line seeing this four-year run fall in the same 17 to 18 range. Am I crazy to think that Florida State can still compete with and get back to winning 9 to 10 regular games a year with that and occasionally exceed those win totals. I understand there's a ceiling there, but if we just reestablish a healthy floor, which I believe Norvell is doing, and maintain some continuity that will eventually get back to average recruiting classes that rank somewhere in the top five to top ten, or somewhere between five and ten, 
after all, this is a long-term rebuild. Unfortunately, I think early signing day makes a rebuild four to five years as opposed to perhaps three to four, not to mention a COVID year thrown in there. Am I crazy for thinking that Norvell should get to the end of 2025? I, I don't think you're particularly crazy, um, but I do think that this was the year they had to hit out of the park <clears throat> because of something Josh himself mentioned, the COVID class. You, unfortunately, had really, really bad luck. And nobody's going to feel bad for Mike Norvell because he got $30 million guaranteed, right? Like, the guy's set for life. So, on the one hand, you could say, hey, he's, he's a millionaire, he's got a bunch of money. But I, I do kind of feel bad for him career, tra- career trajectory-wise because you get the first class, which pretty much everybody's class in the early signing period era, which, by the way, I will note all those teams that Josh mentioned were pre-early signing period, right? None of them were in the last couple of years. So just to note that here, um, you get the first class, which is the 2020 class, which is terrible. And we knew it would likely be terrible. Like a ton of bust, just as bad as Willie's first class was, it looks like it's trending to be. Then you get a, a class with a lot of kids who you ne- either never met in person because of COVID or certainly never got to work out in person at your camp and get out and like, you know, go out on the road and meet people, meet the high school coaches, the guidance counselors, and all that kind of stuff. And we're already seeing some cracks in that class, right? Like, I don't think that class, that's the one you typically have to hit out of the park is that first full recruiting class. So the first full recruiting class was the 2021 class, which is the class that was this year's freshman. And unfortunately for FSU, you got screwed by COVID. So you have a transition class, which everybody knew was going to bust. Then you had a COVID class, which is very tough. And you actually have some hits from that, but definitely not enough. And it is not a class that is like something you can build the foundation of your program on. It was a 23rd ranked class. And that was the one that if not for COVID, I would be judging you on that, right? This is your first full year of recruiting. This is the one you have to hit out of the park. All right. So we kicked the can down the road one. I think fairly, right? I think COVID a a global pandemic is a decent reason to push back by a year, the quote unquote class that you have to hit out of the park, which meant that the 2022 class, if you're going to succeed is the class you really have to hit out of the park. They didn't, they had too many misses. That's the thing. Now, can the transfer portal help you? Yes, it can. Does it guarantee that Norvell won't work out here? No, I think there's still a possibility he works out and might really hit it out of the park. We'll see how well some other things go around him and how well, you know, how willing he is to make some changes, I think, on staff that are, are pretty important. But this 2022 class that you just signed, let's say, I mean, let's say you make it to 2024, right? Those are the guys that in 2024 are going to have to be your juniors. And, and you're not going to have a Travis Hunter there. You're not going to have, you know, a Elijah Pritchett. You're not going to have, and granted, like they, they didn't lose him on signing day, but still, you're not going to have Marvin Jones Jr. You're not going to have Nigel Lee Kelly. You're not going to have Kevin Coleman. You're not going to have Tyree West. So, a lack of the superstar sign in this class is probably going to really hurt your ability to succeed long term. Sorry, like, I, I mean, yeah. all things that that's we, just the facts, but covered. it's not a guarantee. You you <clears throat> can overcome it. Just every every class that goes by makes it more difficult to do so under this regime. 
And I want to point out, by the way, that you either have to sell proven production and success and wins, or you have to sell hope and hype. New and, and shiny. And yeah, and you're not new and shiny in year four and five, and no. you don't have the wins. So I'll be real interesting to see what they do this year. No. Especially with Miami and Florida stepping it up. Oh, we got the Ingram sigh. This, yeah. uh, was... <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I think there's... Um... I think there's a lot of validity to what you said. You also have a chance here to continue to. Uh, you you just got to kind of crockpot this thing, and I know that's not that's the opposite of what you're saying. I I think you're you're more at a crockpot trajectory with the I way mean, that. But early I was long term rebuild guy. Yeah, like I I think I was the one that was getting a whole lot of crap from people for saying this is a long term rebuild. Right, like weren't we weren't we getting negative reviews on that? Oh, what you're saying it's a long-term rebuild? Yeah, I am. But this makes it longer if it's going to work. Um, it'll be. I'll be fascinated to see how what your final Porter Hall looks like, uh, because you do seem to have a staff that can do decent in the portal. Now, sample size very small. I'm I'm making a lot of uh, you know projections based off of a relatively small amount of data. Uh, but if you continue to sign above average classes in the conference and, and continue to traject up and up and, you know, maybe start to sprinkle a couple more top 100 kids into classes than you have the year before, uh, and you can show, uh, you know, fluency and grabbing some of these two to three year kind of stopgap things, then that's fair. You know, we'll just see, we'll see how it goes. Um, why don't we end tonight, being that we're about an hour and five minutes into it. We've got a ton of listener questions that we may just do a uh, a mailbag exclusive show here in the near future. Uh, but Murat has a question. Uh, Murat asks us some interesting stuff and frequently kind of more broader subject matter. He says, I think college football is in trouble. Do you agree? Here's my rationale. Those who want to watch professional football have their NFL games. With NIL and payment to players, you'll no longer have an amateur league that we used to call college football. Um, obviously, I, Murat is familiar with the fact that college football has never really been amateur, but it's certainly different than the direction that maybe it's going in. Uh, it will neither be professional nor, nor amateur. And going forward, who would want to watch college football? And uh, do they not you know, lose some of their interest as this game morphs uh, into more of a professional setting? I think that is really overblown, to be honest. Um, like, did those people not lose interest when coaches started getting paid? Like, we had the first million-dollar coach, what, in the 90s? And now you have coaches making $13 million? Like, the sport became a huge business overnight in, like, the last 25 years. I mean, it was always a business, right? It was always literally constructed to keep payment away from players. Like that was the whole deal. Like they, they did pay players back in the day, like World War II era. They 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 paid players, and then some schools, Michigan, bitched about it, and they like they for, they formed rules said you couldn't pay players to keep the money for themselves and the coaches. But with the when all of a sudden the ads and the schools and all the rights holders, they turned this into a huge business. Everybody started making millions of bucks. Nobody tuned out because of that, but then because the players start making some money. That's not even coming from the schools. It's literally coming from businesses who want to attach themselves to these players because they want to see them go to their schools and do well. 
that's going to drive a whole lot of people away. I think we are seeing a lot of feedback from this because FSU has not held NIL well. And I guarantee you the feedback from FSU fans does not match the feedback for most other schools out there. I think like, like you, if you're a person that reads FSU message boards or FSU Twitter, you see a lot of like the sports doomed and it's just not a lot of schools will handle this just fine. It's up to FSU to handle it fine. Could FSU fans drop out? Yeah, I could see that. I, I certainly could if they, if they continue to botch this. So I um, certainly agree with a lot of what you're saying. The sport has always been uh, very concentrated as to far as where the elite teams are and who they are. Uh, very top-heavy. I do tend to agree that college football has a problem if this goes into pure you know, SEC and everybody else. Uh, and there are a couple schools sure. outside that, that can fight, but... You know, I, I've said this for a while now, um, both on this show and privately, that I've had concerns. When A&M and Texas figure out NIL, they're going to live in a different neighborhood than most of the college football world. And maybe a couple other teams can compete with them uh, over time, but it's a different world. Um, I do think that college football has a chance to lose a decent amount of the sidewalk fan, depending on how this plays out. And if the sport becomes, uh, so, you know, uh, forever creates this caste system that it can't break out of. Um, yes, very top heavy, but go look at the nineties. It was Florida state, Nebraska, Florida state and Florida. Uh, you know, you knew who the better teams were in the country at the beginning of the year. That's what made the Florida state, Florida game. So, dynamic from the mid to late 90s is because you knew those are the two best teams they were just going to play in november and not january oklahoma um, nebraska in the 70s yeah yeah and the end of the 80s and then nebraska in the 90s obviously notre dame and an army like we've always known who the really good teams were going to be it's on fsu to do better you know and and or like that's why you have alford in there now get get better boosters get try to make up for lost time that they, that they screwed up some stuff booster wise and you know keep fighting on it it's not like they're just going to roll over although eventually like the ACC contract until they doom them and Clemson and everybody else but... and Clemson and Clemson and is starting to hear that and Miami is I don't know what the hell Miami is going to do about it but Miami is starting to make some noise about it as well so uh we'll see you know, it's a very interesting time. I, I said this a couple of weeks ago that I feel like we're kind of living in the end days of a certain phase of college football. Um, it, it will continue to morph. Um, I'm maybe not as optimistic as you are, uh, but I don't know that I'm as pessimistic as Murat is either. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes itself out. And college football is a sport that is loved by a lot of people who don't necessarily love change. Uh, you know, and I'm not uh, labeling Peyton that with Murad or anybody else, but when you start to see change, it makes people nervous, and uh, people have this deep emotional connection to Florida or to well Florida State football. Uh, our listeners do, but college football in general, and I think when they feel that that you know emotional connection is threatened, they get nervous, and I don't blame them. It's it's certainly a you know a time of uh, of transformation and change in the sport, and we're living through it. So. Um, what was I going to say here? I, I I do wonder 
the the one thing I think would be interesting in this is what what happens if somebody challenges the Claret ruling? I'm shocked it hasn't happened like already. Eventually, people are going to opt out for the whole season. Like, it, like here's something I want to share with you. Do you I don't follow the NFL a whole lot, right? But I do listen to a couple NFL podcasts just because I, I feel like it's important for me to listen to other sport podcasts to make 24-7 Sports College Network better. Do you know who the offensive rookie of the year is going to be? Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. Didn't play it down last year of college football. Right, yeah. Do you know who the defensive rookie of the year is going to be? Micah Parsons. Didn't play it down of college football last year. Both of the NFL rookie of the years on both sides of the ball are going to be guys who did not play a damn snap of college football in 2020. And they came in and they dominated in the NFL. You're going to start to see the very best players opt out for not for the bowl game, but for the for the year. Mm -hmm. Caleb Williams, dad said it perfectly and he's right. And nobody wants to hear it. He said, you go to college to get prepared for your career. My career is being an NFL quarterback and the number one overall pick. That's my career goal. I'm going to transfer to the school that is going to give me the best chance to be the number one overall pick as an NFL quarterback. He didn't mention the word school or uh, you know university, or like degree, yeah, being a better man, none of that stuff. And he's exactly right. That's how most of these elite players look at it. At some point, does that ruling get challenged? That would be very interesting because that would very clearly go against Murat's point of professional – semi-pro like then it really would be pro or non in the nfl if they lose that ruling because they don't want to have to draft these guys who are not you know as big as stars no if, if they if it became it if it became an option teams would do it because they don't want other people to get the leg up on them on talent but then it would be so, very interesting so why hadn't it been challenged i'm the son of an attorney which means that i know nothing about the law and i'll you know defer to you uh but my understanding of that is that most people are confident that they would probably win that challenge um i'm actually not confident right because the nfl made made the point that like they didn't think that players were physically ready for their league i'm wondering if these guys not playing any college football not needing any more seasoning both in 2020 becoming the rookies of the year if that changes things at all doesn't change the three year out of high school but yeah you're, you're certainly right that it changes the the idea that these guys have to go through some kind of definitive progression yeah, yeah all right exactly cool man well that's a uh, hopefully a good null cast in the book certainly great to be back behind the microphone and get one of these out to you guys so happy new year hope you had a great holiday season uh, certainly appreciate all the support that we've enjoyed as we enter uh, either our 11th or 12th calendar year feel like an old man but uh awesome to be able to continue to do this and uh thank you as always to our sponsors who uh, make the null cast possible so yes sir with that bud first one of 2022 is in the books we'll be back in the near future thank you guys and we'll talk to you soon